Hello church, this is Errol McFadden. I'm the lead pastor here and it's so good to have you with us. And actually we're talking about the church in this series, this brand new series we're starting today called Why Bother? Uh, when I was growing up, I remember inviting friends to church. Like, I thought that was the right thing to do. Friends of mine who weren't Christian, I invited them to come to see what it was all about, to experience what we were doing. And one question that I had for my non-Christian friends was this. Like, do you have to be a Christian to go to church? Do I have to, like, accept Jesus before walking through the doors of that building? And the funny thing is, is that as I've been a pastor and the more Christians I've been around pastoring a church, the question I get is not, do you have to be a Christian to go to church? The question I get is, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Like, I mean, is this kind of like an elective thing or is this for the, the super special Christians who have got, are doing their extra credit? Uh, is this for the AP Christians that, I mean, they're there every single week, but me, like I'm like once in five weeks maybe or maybe just Christmas and Easter. Do you really have, because, and, and then you start talking to people who've got great reasons not to go to church every single week because they've met Christians. And so they kind of come up with the question, well, isn't being a Christian way easier alone than when I have to actually walk alongside this gathering of people. Why bother going to church in the first place? What, what's, what is the big deal? Well, first off, we have to understand what we mean when we say that word, church, because actually this word isn't in the Bible. The, the word that we see translated church actually comes from the word ecclesia, and ecclesia means gathering. It doesn't mean a building. It's actually just a gathering, an assembly of people. In fact, it's not even a Christian word. This word it was a, a word used in Greek and Roman colonies for, for basically a gathering of an assembly, a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. And, and so Christians commandeered that word and appropriated it for themselves saying, well, hey, we are a gathering of citizens called out from our homes into some public space and assembly, and we're gathering together to worship God, to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, to hear from his word, to hear the apostles. Ecclesia was a big deal, but it wasn't the building. It wasn't, it wasn't actually, the, the point wasn't a gathering was the point, or like the, the building or whether it was a house or anything else, but and you see this actually in Romans. In Romans 16, 5, Paul says, greet the church. He's not talking about talking about, you know, greeting a building, like, hello, building. Greet the church that is in their house. The house was the location. At 412 North Wabina, up before COVID, and hopefully very soon, we met in a building. And if this building got decimated by an earthquake or a fire or, or a massive tornado, the church would still be present. The house that we met in would not be. Pretty soon, we're going to be moving on over to Morris, a huge group of people that are going off to experience a gathering, a church that's going to meet in a school. The school isn't the church. The people showing up are the gathering, the church that we see in Scripture. If you want to, you could go through your whole Bible and cross out whenever you see the word church and substitute in what ecclesia actually means, which is gathering. And this gathering is so important to Jesus that it is in the New Testament described as his bride, the gathering of people who are his followers, who've accepted his forgiveness, are his bride. And, and another passage, it says that he is the head over the gathering. He is the head. He is the, he, is, he is the lead pastor over the congregation of believers. He is the head. And it's so important to him that he spent his last moments before the cross praying for that gathering. 
The first group of people he prays for are his disciples, but then he stops and he thinks about another set of people, the people who would listen to his disciples. And this prayer that he prays before the cross is a prayer that if you're in Christ, if you're part of his gathering, his church, was prayed for for you. This is what he said. He says this in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So again, he starts praying for the disciples, but he says, I'm not praying just for my disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. He's praying for this gathering. He's, what, what kind of a, a, a quality is this group of people that, that are going to assemble under my name? I pray that they're one, Father, just as you and I, you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. He's praying that we are so one that the world around sees it and has a faith in God. He continues, I have given them the glory that you have, that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought together in complete unity. And he finishes off by saying this, then the world will know, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The thing that I think is so amazing about this is that Jesus is about to die on a cross. And the thing that he's thinking about before taking on the sins of the entire world is he's praying for the gathering, the gathering of people who are going to be, who are going to hear this message, hear this story, and put their trust in him. That God's work on the cross was so much more than just to get you to God, just to get you saved so that you won't have to go to hell. Like that was not the point. That was the starting of the journey that included being a part of a family of people that you're not even related to by blood, but you're related to by the blood of Jesus. The gathering was something that was going to be getting together, this crazy thing called the church. And, And truth be told that through this gathering, more people, more people would have the capacity of knowing the good news about Jesus. That's, that's what so excites me about, about the church is because that is what we're here for. We're proclaiming not just what we have in him, but this life that we're leading together actually has implications on the communities and the neighborhoods around us. And, we're, and, and in this series that we're talking about as we're teaching through the church, we're not trying to grow our attendance, honestly. I mean, if that happens, awesome. But we're, trying to, we're not trying to grow our attendance. We're trying to grow you closer to the person that Jesus was praying for in that garden before he went to the cross. And, and, and no matter how awesome you are, no matter how great you are, the truth is, is that as good as you are, you aren't as good without the gathering. Jesus's prayer for you was including something that you may be a part of today. And if you're streaming right now, you are, you're, you're a part of this, but you might be one step removed from the church Or you might be someone who's like really been skittish about coming together with this crazy group of people called Christians. And you may have good reasons for that. But honestly, no matter how great you are, and you're awesome. I mean, some of you I know, I know you to be awesome. You're not as good. You're not as good without the gathering. And and here's a couple reasons why. First off, your skills. You've got skills. Your skills aren't as good without the gathering. When you become a Christian, Scripture talks about how we have been given God-given skills and skill sets that we're supposed to use. And you could use them all by yourself. You can use them at school. You can use them at your place of work. That's great. But the place that they are intended to shine and the ultimate purpose that they are intended for was something that Paul talks about 
in 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, so you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit's now residing in you and he's doing something special through you. Since you're so eager about that, this is what you should be doing. Seek those, seek the giftings that will, be strengthened, that will strengthen the whole gathering. God's given you spiritual gifts, not for you, not for your edification, not for your awesome relationship with God or, or even just doing something cool on the side. The purpose that you're, the thing that we're supposed to be aiming for is to find ways to use our skill sets, our giftings to strengthen the whole gathering. Your skills may be good, but they're not as good without their, them being in use, putting your fingerprints on the work of God in the local church. You have a place in there that, that you need and other people need you because you're gonna make them better and they're gonna make you better. When I was growing up and when I got into like late elementary school and junior high and in the beginning of high school, I loved skateboarding. I skateboarded to school. I skateboarded to uh, church. I skateboarded everywhere, and I, I was trying to get better and better, but I had a problem. I was skateboarding all by myself or with people that were as bad a skateboarder as I was or worse. This is before YouTube, so we couldn't like just watch how people did stuff, and so we were a bunch of people who stunk at skateboarding, stinking perpetually alongside each other, but it gets worse. When I was 14 years old, I was riding my skateboard to church to, to go to youth group with my best friend, Victor Gamboa, and I got hit by a car. And when I got hit by a car, let's just say that that dissuaded me from wanting to skateboard. I, didn't, I was just not into it as much as I was before. Getting hit by a car at 45 miles per hour and stopping it with your body mm, is pretty amazing, but it also puts a damper on the idea of getting back on that skateboard and riding. I do enjoy longboarding today, but if I get on a skateboard, like a normal trick skateboard, at 43 years old, my skill set on the skateboard is as good as it was when I was 14 when I got hit by that Honda CRX on Carson Street in Torrance, California. My skill set on that day stopped because I stopped getting on that board because I stopped hanging out with other skateboarders who could get me better. And at 43, I'm where I was when I was 14 years old. You may be similar in the skill set God has given you if you have kept that from the local church. If you've kept your presence from the local church, your skill sets have atrophied. They haven't grown because they haven't been given the opportunity to actually do what they were intended to do. And on top of that, you haven't been around people who are better at that gifting than you are that could actually train and teach you and showcase for you how you could actually step into this. You could be skilled all by yourself in your gifting, but Truth be told, you're never going to be as good without the gathering. But not just your skills. On top of that, your relationships. Your relationships aren't as good without the, gather, without the gathering. They never will be. Because one of the things about relationships means that you're faithfully going alongside each other. It's super easy, as busy as life is, to make church attendance something that's like, well, if I've got nothing else going on, I'll show up. Or if, if things, and this is like typical pre-COVID times, we got, we were so busy back in the day that, that honestly, if I was at church one, maybe your story, I, if I was at church once every three weeks or once every five weeks, it might have been pretty good because life is crazy and it's bananas. But you might have realized that you didn't really know people. The people didn't recognize you and you didn't feel connected to them. I mean, you, you maybe you enjoyed worshiping alongside other people, but the relationship factor was a little bit off. Now, you might be someone who honestly, very much like I stopped skateboarding because of that accident, you may have stopped showing up to church because of some type of like trauma that you had relationally with someone. 
Maybe it was a pastor or a, a small group leader or someone who, who you knew from church and you're like, dude, I love Jesus. Nothing against God. I'm all on board with team Jesus. I'm just not all on board with team church because those people are messed up or toxic. And then COVID happened. And all of a sudden, we are now separated. We're just like separated even more than we possibly were before. And a lot of us have turned to the very thing that's intended to bolster social connection, social networking. And, and we went to social networking, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and we are now connected and that's great. But then all of a sudden, as soon as controversy comes into the mix, we start looking at the way that other people we may have previously had relationships with or knew from church, and we're like, dude, I am never going back there. I don't want to be around people. I've, I've, got, I've talked to people at our church who said, you know, I don't know what it is, but when something happens, I feel like I've got to react, and I just post this thing, and sometimes when I'm looking back on things I've posted, I'm embarrassed, and I'm not surprised that I've got friends that have unfollowed me or they've muted me for a month, which that's an amazing feature of Facebook. Definitely should try that. But people, are, they're disconnected from me because of things that I've said, and I've definitely disconnected from, from them, or I've just torn them apart on their, on their feed because of things that they've said. Facebook is almost like it's, it's cued us up with this picture of divisiveness and a reason that we should be divided. But here's the thing. Jesus prayed for you. And what he prayed for you was for your oneness and your unity with each other. The way that his relationship is within the Trinity, he was praying that for you and other Christians. Do you know why he prayed that? Do you know why he prayed that you'd be unified? Because he knew you would need it. He knew it would not be natural. He knew that it would be contested by life. And he knew that 2020 would happen. And he prayed for your unity. One of the things that, that we, we recognize is that Facebook is this... And, and Instagram and Twitter, it's an opportunity for all of us to have solos. Like every single one of us can say exactly what we want to the world, and we're soloing, 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 and the world has this, this cacophony of soloists that are competing with one another, and it's madness. It's absolute madness. The world doesn't need more soloists. The world needs more harmony. And I'm not a singer, but I know that harmony happens when a multiple group of people discipline themselves to work together to produce a pleasant sound. The church was intended to be that. The church was not intended to, be, to have a solo and solo and solo and solo. It was intended to be a group of people who, in spite of their relational hardships, their relational differences, that they actually discipline themselves to get together and to make one voice, that together they could make a better sound than they could in isolation. You are a better relational person if you are faithfully connected to the gathering. And, and it's necessarily that way. Um, good relationships are like good families. Good families aren't good families because they don't have conflict. Good families experience conflict, but then they learn how to forgive and move forward. And that's hard. And that takes dedication and faithfulness. And it takes waking up and I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try it again. I'm going to keep going at this. That's how good families are crafted and molded. Same thing with relationships. Your good relationships aren't in the absence of conflict. And good churches aren't in the absence of conflict. And good relationships within churches aren't the ones that are absent from conflict. They experience conflict, but then they learn how to forgive and move forward together. One of the coolest things that I've experienced at NBC is watching as people who were divided at one point to the point of even leaving the church or walking away or just chewing each other out and never wanting to talk again, watching as God has brought them together 
through that faithful dedication of week after week after week. We have the opportunity to experience this. And this is why the author of Hebrews said, don't give up meeting together. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead encourage each other. And all the more, as you see the day when Jesus is going to ultimately return, get closer and closer. If you are someone who enters into a relationship where you're meeting week after week after week, you have now have this genius laboratory that Jesus designed of the opportunity to learn how to humble yourself, how to listen, how to be slow to speak, slow to become angry, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're someone who's, who's stepping in and being more quick to listen and actually building relationships through patience and dedication where you get to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are hard to do in isolation, and they certainly are never going to be as good without the gathering. Your relationships aren't as good without the gathering. Your skills, your relationships, but also your portrait. Your portrait is not as good without the gathering. Now, some of you, again, you're incredibly, you're incredibly attractive. Let's, you could just tell that. Look around the room right now and just look at someone and say, you're incredibly attractive. Just go ahead, no, go ahead and do that right now. Just look right now, say, you're, okay. Now make sure you say it back again. Yes, yeah, yes, okay, good. All right, awesome. It's true. You are, God has crafted you as, as an image bearer of him. You are an, in, created in the imago Dei, the image, image of God. You are creating the image of God, and because of that, you are, are phenomenal. But your portrait will never, ever be good in isolation. Not as good as it is with the gathering. The truth is, is that you are crafted into a much bigger space. Um, I one time uh, made the mistake of uh, going to an art museum. Now, I love art museums. I love art galleries because I, I, I like art myself. I like to be an artist, and so I like to see what other people have done. And so I thought it would be a great idea to take my young son at the time, Micah, to an abstract art gallery, like a modern art gallery. And I'm bringing them through, and it was great. But I made one fatal error. I brought along Pastor Dave Jankowski. That was a mistake. He walks in, and he's looking at abstract art. I mean, he's looking at a clump of garbage that's hanging from the ceiling. And it's got meaning in it. It does, trust me. And it's got purpose, and the artist did it on, on purpose. But Dave walks in and goes, What? A preschooler could have done this. This is stupid. The jan- Can we get a janitor over here? Someone's got to take this garbage out. And, and he just was doing that portrait after portrait, display after display, and Micah's laughing. He's thinking this is hilarious. My face is super red, and because I'm super embarrassed because of the fact that, that these guys, everyone else is trying to enjoy this art, and we got this hater over here and a kid who thinks he's hilarious. My face got red, but not as red as the next thing we saw in the next room, and this was the climax. This is where I realized this was a terrible, terrible decision I will never, ever make again to bring Dave Jankowski to a modern art gallery. We get to a space, and on the wall, white wall, and there's a huge canvas, like six feet by six feet. And what was on the canvas? Nothing. Nothing but the color red. No brush strokes could be seen, no nuance, no complexity, no texture. And I knew as we approached it, this is going to be bad. And he starts to laugh. He starts to talk about how ridiculous this is. He wants to know how much someone would actually buy for this stupid red portrait, red canvas that, that was just all that. And as embarrassing as that was, I, I, I got to give it to him. 
I'm sure that that means something to the artist. I'm sure that it has epic meaning. And there were people that were looking at it. But you know what? People don't stare at that type of thing nearly as long as the portrait that's far more complex. It took more hours and days and weeks and months to pour into this one piece. Uh, pieces where you're looking at every brush stroke and every nuance and every elevation of paint because you've seen so many additional layers on it. And when you see that, that's something. Even if you don't get it when you first see it, it causes you to lean in and want to know more about it. If you are in isolation, your portrait is like that red canvas. It's monotone. It's one color. There's not complexity, not as nearly as much as when you bring other people into the mix. What the local church is, is it's a grander portrait, far better and far greater than one single amazing color. One of the great things that we get a chance to do when we gather together as a people is we get a chance to experience the fact that God has used all different shades, all different kinds of thinking, all different kinds of backstories and backdrops, and it blends together. Each one of us is a brushstroke. Each one of us is, is not the whole painting. We're not the whole world. We're not the whole canvas. We're one brushstroke of a beautiful thing that could only be seen in its entirety when we gather together to see what the artist did in the combined work of our lives. That's what takes place at the church. That's the gathering that we get to experience. Um, I was talking to Pastor Eric about the fact, uh, what I was talking about with this and stuff, and, and he actually went to social networking as well. He said, you know, it kind of reminds me of people who are on Instagram or Facebook, and you know that they've got a family that they could be taking pictures of, but all that you see them posting are selfies. There's, that's all they're posting. It's like the most important thing in their world is a picture of themselves, ignoring the fact that they're part of a greater family that could be also showcased. If you're someone who's one step out and you've asked yourself the question, why bother going to church? What's the big deal? Part of the big deal is that your portrait, the thing that God intended for you to display and reflect, is never going to be as good as it is when you are in the gathering. You are a better picture with all the brushstrokes together. So why bother? Why bother going to church? The truth is, you will never be as good without the gathering. You're never going to be the person that Jesus wanted you to be, that he prayed for you to be, that he called you to be without the gathering and that, that laboratory and that engine of what he intended to pull off that work inside of you. And if Jesus was right, if he was accurate in his prayer, and if his prayer was actually intent to actually affect change in us, if he was right about what would be ultimately called the church, then you are cheating yourself and you're cheating your kids and you're cheating other Christians and you're cheating the lost world in our community out of an unparalleled experience of a week-by-week -week refining work that God wants to do through us where we actually let the, the, this amazing opportunity start a week where, where we, we make the central, where we push things away and then we cancel plans to make sure that we get to gather with God's people and that that be the starting of our week so that everything that comes after that, work-wise and school-wise, is an echo from what we learned about the amazing reality of what Jesus has done for us and we get to walk into the week that way. And after you get through your whole week and you've been beat up by who knows what, you get to come back and recover and experience the restorative work of what Jesus does when he puts the gathering of people back together. I want you to imagine, uh, just imagine what that would be like, uh, of what Jesus 
was thinking and praying about. Like imagine like when we get to back together, when we're like, when we're actually back together and we're hoping that that's going to be in September and you walk through the doors and people, people are there greeting you because they know you. They're, they're, they're people that you've done life with. And, and again, that might be something that's a step up. Maybe you're going to just have to start that journey. But imagine, imagine what it would be like to walk into a space and people know you and they're excited to see you because they've done life with you. These are people who you've had to forgive and people who have forgiven you. You're seeing the faces of kids that, that you've actually poured into and you, you've actually taught them stuff in one of the kids' ministries and you watched them go and grow into junior hires and high schoolers and into adulthood and, and you had the privilege of passing on the story of what Jesus did inside of your life to them and now you get to watch them passing it on to someone else. Imagine seeing seats that were empty but then now they're full and they're filled with people that you never in a million years thought would go to church, never in a million years thought would be a part of this worship of the one true God but that one Sunday that they came, they got invited and they came and then they surrendered their life to Jesus and they've been coming ever since. You don't have to imagine that too hard because that is reality. It's the reality that Jesus spent the last moments before he went to the cross praying for. You are the one he was praying for in the garden. You are the one that he was hoping would come into a gathering that would faithfully meet proclaiming his name until he returns so that the world around you would know and get a chance to see a better picture of him. This is a crazy time we're in. We've all been disconnected royally and we've got a crazy fall ahead of us. But in the midst of the chaos and the disagreement and the conflict, may we be the fulfillment of Jesus's prayer in John chapter 17, that we will be one, that we would be the gathering that is together and that the world would know. What I'd like to do right now is I'd like to pray just to close this out um, before handing this off to Katie to close this out, out the service. But I want to pray for you specifically. Um, at home right now, you've been streaming and this has been the best option for you. And it may be the best option for you and your family going forward. As you're still disconnected from the greater body, I want to pray for you that you have ways of getting connected in the midst of being separated still. And that soon enough, as soon as it's safe for you that you will find your way into the gathering of people where you can, in combination with other people that are totally different from you, proclaim Jesus. Let me pray for you right now, okay? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to stay connected even in a disconnected time. I thank you for the technology um, that gives us the ability to do this. Lord, um, I love the fact that um, people... Are, aren't, they don't have to brave the roads or um, the masks or the pandemic or anything else to be able to hear this. God, we give you thanks for that. But Lord, we also know how easy it is for us to devolve into a place of isolation and distance. And you've crafted us for community. So Lord, I pray right now for the people at home that you will allow them to be shored up. Lord, some people right now are sick. They're sick at home. And that's the reason why they can't get out. And so I'm praying that you bolster the peace in their heart. Let them know that they are loved and taken care of by you. Lord God, I also just ask that you uh, give them the capacity to be healed, that, that the, the sickness and the pandemic and the, the, all the stuff COVID-related, God, will be something that is in the rearview mirror of their life. Lord, I pray that, that you bring us together to a place where, again, we don't just see attendance grow. We see lives grow closer to the picture that you prayed for. And we'll give you the thanks for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to hand this on over to Katie.